I suspect that for many Christians, we, we have the sense that we should celebrate Ascension Day, but we're not always 100% sure why we should celebrate Ascension Day. I mean, we get Christmas, the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ came to our planet, and we certainly get Easter, the fact that he died for us, but why would we want to celebrate the fact that Jesus has left us? That I remember reading about one pastor who asked a pastor friend of his why he thought Ascension Day wasn't as popular as some of the other Christian celebrations like Christmas or Easter, even Pentecost. And his friend thought about it for a moment and he said, well, for a start off, it's never on a Sunday. And secondly, you don't get presents. But maybe the present issue could easily be resolved, I suppose. But tonight I'd like us to look at a couple of passages of Scripture which hopefully will convince us, if we needed convincing, that we do have a great deal to celebrate today. And let's begin by looking at the Ascension event itself as described by Dr. Luke in Acts chapter 1. He writes, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many, many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So in this passage, Luke gives us Ascension Day from earth, the view from below, as it were. But in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul gives us a view of Ascension Day from heaven, the view from beyond. And listen to how Paul describes it. God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything, for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This passage of scripture describes the ascension of Jesus almost in terms of a throne room scene. Often in adventure movies, you have that scene where the hero returns from battle and enters into the king's court. 
And he comes in at the back of the throne room, uh, often dirty and bloody from battle. And what happens? Everyone in the hall uh, stands to their feet, often in complete silence. And they watch as the knight or the hero walks slowly down the aisle towards the king who has stood at the head of the throne room. And then the king says something to the knight or he embraces him. And then all of those in the throne room cheer. And then the knight is seated next to the king. And something very similar happens at the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice a couple of things about this throne room scene. Firstly, Jesus, our champion, bears the scars of battle. Luke tells us that leading up to this ascension day, the Lord Jesus met with the disciples over a period of 40 days and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He had a resurrected body, which is significant because one day you and I will have such a body too. And there seems to have been some continuity and some discontinuity between the body Jesus had before his death and his resurrection body. At times the disciples couldn't quite recognize him. Uh, sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. He could appear and disappear at will. His body was the same, but also different. But it was nevertheless a body. Remember Jesus saying to the disciples, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. Now, presumably, Jesus could have chosen any kind of resurrection body that he wanted, and yet he specifically chose to keep the scars. Remember him saying to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Jesus bears the scars of battle. As we sometimes sing in that chorus, the marks that speak of sacrifice. I think there are two important implications for us from that. Firstly, the scars remind us that no matter what we might be going through tonight, in our Lord Jesus, we have someone who understands from the inside of our experience. Maybe you're abused. Maybe you're disregarded, maybe you're sidelined, maybe you're hit, uh, maybe you're sworn at. Jesus understands that from the inside of our experience. And secondly, the scars remind us that if we choose to follow the Lamb, we too will go through suffering and death. In Revelation chapter 3, in his letter to the church at Laodicea, Jesus promises to the one who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And how did Jesus overcome? Colossians 2, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus triumphs by dying a shameful death on a cross. And if we seek to share his victory, we will also need to take our share of suffering and death. It may be persecution or even martyrdom for the name of Christ, but more likely it will simply be the daily dying to self and living for Jesus, saying yes to some things that are hard to do and saying no to some other things 
that are easy to do. Something else I'd like to pick up in this throne room scene. That's the fact that Jesus is seated. Look at what Luke says. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. That idea that Jesus is seated is repeated again and again throughout the New Testament. We read in Ephesians 1, God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. It's a visual picture of the fact that Jesus' work is finished. If you're sat down, you're resting. I remember as a kid, um, if I was being naughty, my dad was sat down. I knew I could get away with anything until he stood up. <laughs> then I was in trouble. This is a visual picture of the fact that Jesus' work is finished. One of the things that's always interested me is people's final words. Let me read to you some of the last words of people before they died. The deaf composer Ludwig van Beethoven said, I shall hear in heaven. The novelist Emily Jane Bronte said, if you will send for a doctor, I will see him now. <laughs> Probably died. <laughs> Lady Astor, the parliamentarian who gave Winston Churchill such a hard time, as she was lying on her deathbed, all of her family gathered around her, and so she asked, am I dying or is it my birthday? H.G. Wells, the famous science fiction writer, said, go away, I'm all right. And Oscar Wilde, the Irish playwright, poet and author, as he was laid dying, looked at his bedroom walls and said, this wallpaper is terrible. One of us will have to go. <laughs> but how about these famous last words? John chapter 19. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. Literally then, when Jesus ascended into heaven and stood before his father, he could have said the words, mission accomplished. There is nothing more than that can be done to save humanity. By his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection and his ascension. Jesus has accomplished salvation for all who believe. There is nothing that anyone can do to save people from their sins. Jesus has done it all. That's very important when people come and say, well, Jesus is okay, but you also need to read our book. <laughs> or Jesus' death on the cross is important, but you also need this ritual. Jesus' teaching was great, but you also need to do this. No. <laughs> We cannot add anything to the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. We cannot bring anything in our hands as we stand before God. We stand before him dressed in the righteousness of Jesus alone. So on Ascension Day, we celebrate a heavenly throne room scene, but there are a couple of other things that we celebrate too. We remember, secondly, that Jesus has promised to return. There are some moments in the history of the Bible that I wish I could have been around for, and this is one of them. Not necessarily to see Jesus disappear, but rather to see the disciples' reaction. <laughs> You've got these big, burly fishermen all staring up into the sky, and then the angel has to come and say, what on earth are you doing looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back 
in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Normally at the beginning of funeral services, we read Jesus' words to his disciples in John chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Notice that the focus of Jesus' return lies not so much in a place, heaven, as much as it does in a person. Focusing on heaven can be disillusioning because we just can't imagine it. And the Bible uses all sorts of pictures that would have been really great to first century people, but don't seem quite as exciting to us. We can't picture heaven. It's so far out of our experience. It would be like a baby in the womb trying to imagine life outside its mother. Now it's better not to focus on the place, but rather on the person who promises, I'm coming to take you to be with me. Samuel Rutherford was a Presbyterian preacher who lived in the 1600s. And he once wrote this in a prayer. Oh my Lord Jesus Christ, if I could be in heaven without you, heaven would be a hell. And if I could be in hell but have you with me, hell would be heaven for me. You are all the heaven I desire. And that's got some important implications for us right now. It means that my task each day is to cultivate a relationship with someone who has created me in order that I might spend eternity with him. And we'll look at some of the other implications of that in a moment. But you and I were made for an eternal relationship with this God who promises I'm coming back so that you can be with me. A third significance of Jesus' ascension is that when he left, he also gave us the Holy Spirit. And Luke records that in verses 4 and 5. Jesus says, Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now we'll consider in much more detail in two weeks' time when we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. But the coming of the Holy Spirit is one of the most important parts of Jesus' going away. In fact, Jesus can say to his disciples, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. When Jesus was on earth, he could only give his full attention to one person at a time. When he was speaking to Peter, he couldn't at the same time be interacting with Andrew. But now that the Holy Spirit has come, each one of us can have complete and direct access to Jesus all of the time. And that explains something that at first appears to be slightly odd in Luke's Gospel. Luke says here, after the ascension, the disciples returned to Jerusalem with great joy. As, as a child, I often had the great privilege of having my grandparents come and visit our family from England. 
And whenever we had to drop them back at the airport, I can assure you that never once did we return home with great joy. But the disciples did, because Jesus had in fact not left them. As St. Augustine put it back in the third century, you ascended from before our eyes and we turned back grieving only to find you in our hearts. So these three things to celebrate, among many others, a heavenly throne room where Jesus bears the scars of battle and is seated at the right hand of his Father, a promise of his return and his presence with us right now through his Holy Spirit. And what is our response? What does this mean for the rest of this week ahead? Well, our response, I believe, is to be ready and working. Firstly, we, we need to be ready that whenever the New Testament writers speak about Jesus' second coming, coming, they never spend time speculating on when it will be. They always urge their readers to be ready. We're not on the planning committee, we're on the welcoming committee. In fact, when Jesus spoke about his second coming, that was his main emphasis too. Mark chapter 13. Therefore keep watch. Because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, don't let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone. Watch. While on one of his expeditions to the Antarctic, Sir, Sir Ernest Shackleton left some of his men on Elephant Island, with the intention of returning for them and carrying them back to England. But he got delayed, and by the time he could go back for them, the sea had frozen over and he had no access to the island. Three times he tried to break through to reach them, but he was prevented from doing so by the ice. Finally, on his fourth try, he broke through and found a narrow channel. Much to his surprise, he found the crewmen waiting for him, supplies packed and ready to board. And they were soon on their way back to England. He asked them how they knew to be ready for him. And they told him they didn't know when he would return, but they were sure he would. So every morning, the leader rolled up his bag, packed his gear and told the crew to do the same, saying, get your things ready, boys. The boss may come home today. As I said earlier, our task at present is to carve out time to be with Jesus now. Reading his word, worshipping him, speaking to him in prayer, meeting with other believers around his word. We develop this relationship now, behind the curtain, as it were, so that we are ready for him when we see him face to face. Ready, but also working. Did you notice how Luke starts the book of Acts? He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. That's an interesting phrase, began to do and to teach. And we've just spoken about the fact that Jesus' work is finished. And anyway, the book of Acts is all about the church. It's not about Jesus, or, or is it? <laughs> Luke hasn't made a mistake. He's saying something very important. He's saying that Jesus is still at work right now through his church, through us, through you, and through me. 
Remember the words we read in Ephesians a few moments ago. Paul said, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And that's an astounding and sobering statement. The church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus comes and takes up residence in us together. We, as the church, are his body. We represent Jesus. We're his hands, his feet, his voice. And in verse 8, Jesus reminds us of what we're to be doing while we wait for his return. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so you and I are wonderfully invited to join God in accomplishing his mission. We're invited to keep on writing the story about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And so out of my being with Jesus each day should also flow some specific actions. Acknowledging his presence every moment of my day. Asking what he would do in the particular situation in which he has placed me. It might be something big, like crossing an ocean to tell others about Jesus. It might be something small, like crossing the road to take a cake to a neighbour. God has placed all of us in families, in neighbourhoods, in retirement villages, in schools, in offices, to tell others the good news about our Lord Jesus Christ. Nicky Gumbel tells how his pastor once went to a beautiful old country house in France and one of the things that impressed him most was the beautiful gardens. They were absolutely magnificent and immaculately kept. And this pastor saw the gardener working and he complimented the man on his beautiful work. And then he said to the man, how long have you been working here? The man replied, 44 years. Pastor said, and, and does the owner of this villa come here often? The gardener replied, no. In fact, I've never seen him. The pastor said, you mean you've worked here for 44 years and you've never met the owner? The man replied, that's right. The pastor said, well, with the gardens looking so beautiful, you must be expecting him to come tomorrow. And the gardener replied, no. Today, sir, I'm expecting he might come today. Our Lord Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God. His work for us is finished, but his work in us and through us continues through the power of his Holy Spirit until he returns and we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we've just scratched the surface because you are always much, much bigger than we could imagine. But we thank you. We thank you that as we sort of come to the end of Eastertide and as we come towards Pentecost, we look back on all that took place over Easter. We remember the fact that you gave many convincing proofs that you were alive, that it's not just the fairy tale. And that you now send us out into a broken world with the good news that Jesus lives and saves. 
Won't you help us in the rest of this week and on into the weekend to keep on carving out time to be with you, to listen to your voice, and to do the next right thing that you're calling on us to do, to the extension of your kingdom and the glory of your name.